0: Which please turn with me to your study outlines, and as you're turning, let me welcome those of you that are joining us online. We are so glad that you're joining us for our study, as well as our friends in Arco, Idaho, and also Kalispell, Montana. We're so glad uh, that you're joining us for this study as well. Now, as you look at your study outline, you'll see that we're going to take a two-week break From our series on James, but I will be back to it. I'll be preaching on James 2, chapter 2, verses 1 through 13. Next Sunday, we'll be back to our James series. But what we've done is we've taken a little mini series within a series, a little two part series on the multi generational nature of our church. And we are one of the most demographically multi generational churches of any church in America today, as you can see there in your little chart that's there on your study outline. We are extremely multi generational, but that's that is something, that is a value that we have to continue to protect and, and work on and, and, and guard with. And so uh, we have done this little mini-series within a series, this little two-part series on being a multi-generational church. Last Sunday, uh, my wife Kimberly and I, uh, we spoke on reaching our children Uh, for Christ. And this week, Pastor Eric and I will talk about reaching our students uh, for Christ. And uh, next week, again, we will be back to James. Uh, We've had this tremendous response to our James series. This week, we will start our 50th James group. And so if you'd like to be a part of a James group, our James table is right out in the lobby. Please go out there and see one of these groups, these 50 different groups that fit your time schedule and your geography uh, that you would like to be a part of. Uh, But even if you can't be part of a James group, get a hold of the guide that we've produced in order to go along with the sermon series on Sunday morning and the small group. And so encourage you, even if you can't be part of a small group, get a hold of this out at the James uh, table, and we would love for you to use this. This workbook as you follow along with the series here on Sunday morning. Uh, we got this uh, text just this last week. Uh, it's a little tough to join a small group right now with a new baby. So I decided to get the workbook, the workbook that I was just talking about, and to watch the James video and study on my own. Wow, I just did the SOAP method for week number two. SOAP, uh, scripture observation, application, and prayer that we teach as part of this series. I just did SOAP for week two, and the Lord really spoke to me. Thank you. Loving the study book, video, soap method, and weekly messages. So, encourage you again, be part of a group, but even if you can't be part of a group, get a hold of this workbook that will go along uh, with the series. Uh, Now, as you look at the title for our study, this is called Generation Sunday, and the title for today's message is Bridging the Great Divide Between Generations. And you can see how God has blessed us, but also the challenge there in that chart that you see, we've shown you this before, uh, what we did is we did a study of the 7,000 plus people growing all the time, uh, the 7,000, over 7,000 people that call Purpose Church their home. And we broke it down by decade within our own church family and then compared that to the Los Angeles census for the county in which uh, we live. And you'll see that we're ahead of our, the decade for percentages for the county of Los Angeles in all but three decades, those in their 20s, 30s, and 40s. Now, we shouldn't feel too badly about that, even though we want to take on that challenge, because this is a nationwide phenomenon. This is not just our church, but this is a nationwide phenomenon, this drop-off that happens after high school. And you'll notice that uh, at our church, there's this, we go from plus 5% in the decade of high school to uh, negative 6% in the decade after high school. And again, this is a phenomena we see happening uh, nationwide. Uh, but this is, our, this is our challenge. This is a challenge we have. Now, you'll see some of the theme scriptures uh, that are for this particular uh, study today that we are basing this series, this study on. Uh, Psalm 33, verse 11. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. And then the one I want to camp on for just a moment is Psalm 71, verses 17 and 18. Since my youth, God, you have taught me, and to this day I declare your marvelous deeds. Even when I am old and gray, do not forsake me, my God till I declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. Now, this just really has hit me powerfully uh, lately. It is a privilege to be old and gray. Because just think of the alternative. What's the alternative to being old and gray? It's being uh, cold and, and the grave, you know, dead and young. That's the alternative to it. It's a privilege to live to the age When you are old and gray. And yet this verse infers that there's a reason why God has allowed those of us that are old and gray uh, to achieve this particular chapter within our lives. And it is not primarily to play golf, even though there's nothing wrong with golf. Don't beat me up in the parking lot, okay? Uh, It's not to take RV trips, even though nothing wrong with RV trips. It is not even to personally enjoy God in worship. Because we can do that way better in heaven than we can do it here, right? So what's the reason for us still being here, those of us that are old and gray or old and bald, I would like to be gray if I just had more of it, you know? And so, you know, what's the reason? Why 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 are we still here? Well, here it says, uh, do not forsake me, my God. Give me strength, even when I'm old and gray, because here's my primary purpose, until I declare your power to the next generation. Only thing, I can't do better in heaven. I might as well be in heaven because I can sing better in heaven. I can worship better in heaven. I can fellowship better in heaven. I can do everything better in heaven. So why am I still here? To declare your power to those that do not yet know Christ, to share Christ with those that are lost, and also to declare your power to the next generation, your mighty acts to all who are to come. So the Bible says this is a race, and it's hard. Easier said than done when you're old and gray and tired to pass off the baton to the next generation. But it is a race and it takes all the strength that we have. Uh, The writer of Hebrews says, therefore, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. And the Bible says it's not just any kind of race, it's a relay race. I stole this relay baton from Pastor Randy's office. So if he's looking for it, Pastor Randy, if you're in here, I stole this from your office. As a matter of fact, don't tell him. I'll slip it back. He'll never know the difference after the service is over. But but Paul talks about the four legs to a relay. And the things you have heard me say, first leg of the relay, was Paul. Okay, uh, this is generation one of Christ followers in 60 or 50 AD, okay, in the presence of many witnesses, that's Timothy, that's leg two of the relay. Paul has the gospel, passes it to Timothy and many other witnesses. Entrust Timothy to reliable people, hand it off to the next generation, uh, the, the next leg of the relay, who will also be qualified to teach others to the fourth generation and on it goes until the current time, generation to generation until Christ returns. and so our goal when we're old and gray, when we are at the end of our relay leg, is God, give me the strength to pass this on uh, to the next generation. but as you'll see, this is our challenge to do that, uh, particularly after high school. How can we keep those after they graduate from high school in our youth group? how can we keep them connected? Uh, to the broader church? How can we keep passing on that relay baton? I've shown this to you before. Uh, This indeed is my favorite video because I'm one of the stars of it. And so usually, you know, home videos, they're always your favorite videos, right? And so as Pastor Eric comes up, let's watch this. Since the dawn of church history, ministry leaders have been passing the baton to future generations. Some transitions are smooth, others are not. Today we're going to be talking about five classic examples of how churches pass the baton. One common mistake that churches make is that they never raise up another generation to pass the baton to in the first place. When they get to the end of their lap, there is no one there to receive the baton. Sometimes churches do raise up a new generation, but they have trouble passing the baton. They drop the baton in the process. This is due to lack of foresight and preparation, and the transfer fails. Sometimes when passing the baton, it is simply a matter of timing. It is not uncommon for the next generation to become impatient.
1: This baby boomer is taking way too long. I want the baton
0: now! Sometimes, too close. The previous generation isn't willing to give the baton up. But every so often, once in a while, the rarest of events transpires a church passes the baton to the next generation with perfect form. So remember, always be a church that passes the baton. Wow.
1: Oh man. Oh man, no, no grown man should wear the shorts that I wore in that video. But only a Purpose church would you hear a sermon after, uh, after that video. That's incredible. Well, we're here this morning because we're talking about this, this big idea of how do we bridge this great divide? Where for, uh, you know, for a while there's been a little bit of students in one location primarily and, and adults in another location. And, and how, how do we change that in a way? How do we come up with a new strategy to help students follow Jesus for their lives? now what does it look like for students to be really connected to church for their lives? And and maybe some of you are asking this question, you're going, man, this kind of sounds like this totally relates to high school uh, parents, parents of high school students, and you're absolutely right, and we've already shared this with our high school parents. And maybe you're asking the question, well, then why are we taking a Sunday to talk about it? And it's because of this. The only way, the only way that we are going to pass the baton off to the next generation is if we as a whole church recognize and bear the privilege and the responsibility of loving and caring for students in a way where we are relationally connected to them so that when they graduate high school, they don't think about leaving Purpose Church or they don't think about abandoning the local church, but they can't wait to see what their next step is. You see, Paul describes the church as a body. And I think his his point in First Corinthians chapter 12 will help kind of anchor us this morning. He says this, Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Verse 14, even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. And then verse 15, He shares a really interesting point that I think applies perfectly to our situation. Now, if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being a part of the body. I'm concerned that maybe some of our students feel like a foot. And they look at the larger church and they say, I just don't belong here. Maybe some of you have had kids or grandkids who who have described to you or shared to you at one point, man, I, I just don't feel connected to the larger church. What we're talking about this morning is a new strategy to change that. Paul continues the analogy. He says, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I, I do not belong to the body. It would not, for that reason, stop being a part of the body. That Some of our students, as ears, say, well, I'm not an eye. I'm not, I'm not a part of that larger thing, so I'm not sure if I'm a part of the church. And Paul says, no, you got to understand that we are all one body, and so we, as a church, have to function in a way, have to lead in a way, have to interact in a way, have to structure our services and our experiences in a way that students understand that this is not the church for their parents or that they are not the church of the future, but they are the church of today and purpose church is for them. You know, uh, Glenn and I are hoping to, to take about 30 minutes to talk about something that we shared with a bunch of parents for about an hour and a half. And if you're interested in finding out more about some articles and, and some, uh, a larger presentation, and you can watch that online, you can go to PurposeChurch.com slash HSM right there. We have all the information that you need. But let me remind you, church, of our vision statement. It's, what, it's that we want to see everyone everywhere following Jesus. And one of the things I love about being at Purpose Church for almost four years now, is that it is crystal clear that we are a community who does desire to see everyone everywhere following Jesus, and that includes students. That in terms of our budget, in terms of our staffing, in terms of our investment, that you guys are a church. You are a community that loves and prioritizes students. And when you say the word everyone, I know you're thinking it, and I'm thinking it, students. And how do we help students truly follow Jesus, not just while they're in high school, but even beyond? And if you're in this room and you love Jesus and you're in a relationship with him and you call Purpose Church your home, then I know your two goals are the same as my two goals, and it's this, that we wanna see every student have a lifelong commitment to Jesus Christ. And we wanna see every student have a lifelong commitment to the local church. So I'm gonna ask you a question that I want you to be thinking about this whole presentation and, and think about at the end. How can you, how can you help the next generation follow Jesus? You see, this is not just about a program. This is not just about a new strategy. This is about a church culture. This is about us as a community and individually answering this question at a personal, emotional level. How can you, what is your part in helping the next generation follow Jesus? Because every single one of us matters to this. Every single one of us will make a decision about what our part will be. Here's the scary part. Is that there's a lot of research out there that shows that students, once they graduate from a high school ministry, that the chances are that they will not stay connected to the larger church. First statistic I want to share with you came out of Barner Research in the year 2006. They found this, 60 to 80% of semi-regular students ditch the church once they graduate high school. A semi-regular student is a student who comes every once in a while to a Wednesday or Sunday program. It's it's a student who maybe has come to a camp or two and and is kind of semi-connected, semi-regular to the programs that we have going on here. But you know what? That statistic doesn't terrify me as much as the next one. Fuller Youth Institute did a research study in the year 2011 and they found this, that 40 to 50% of connected students... Connected students. These are our students who are at every Wednesday and Sunday. These are students who go to every camp and retreat that we have to offer. These are students who are invested, who show up early and stay late and absolutely love their high school ministries. 40 to 50% of them, once they graduate high school, say, man, Jesus seemed really relevant and real back then, but not so much anymore. As a church, I know that, that nobody in this room is willing to flip a coin, in terms of whether our students will continue loving Jesus for the rest of their lives. And so our question is, well, what do we do about this? Fuller came out with some some research recently when they partnered with over 500 youth group graduates, surveying them, asking them about their experiences, and then they went a step further and partnered with 259 churches across the country to figure out how are churches doing in terms of engaging with the next generation? How do students feel? What success are they seeing in keeping students connected to the church? And these four findings are so prolific. The first is this involvement in all church worship during high school is more consistently linked with mature faith in both high school and college than any other form of church participation. See, the big idea here is that it is so critical for students to be a part of this larger church, to be a part of this community involvement could be you know, running programs, handing stuff out, maybe even hoping to lead worship like we had this morning, one of our amazing high school students leading worship up here. But the research shows that just getting in the same rows, getting in the same environment with people that are a generation younger and older than them is so important for them once they graduate high school in determining whether they are gonna keep going. Finding number two is this. The more students serve and build relationships with younger children, the more likely it is that their faith will stick. And this is incredible because we have an amazing high school ministry here where we offer tons of programs and camps and retreats. And I know that all of that is absolutely critical. And we're gonna continue everything that we're doing on Wednesdays and with our retreats and our camps and all that amazing stuff. But the research is showing that in order for students to take that next step after high school in their engagement with the local church and their investment in the local church, they've gotta be worshiping with the local church and they've gotta be serving in the local church. Number three is this. High school seniors don't feel supported by adults in their congregation. Now, that's not us. That's absolutely not us. And we're doing the giving wall today and and between this Sunday and next Sunday, I'm confident we're going to raise over $25,000 because you heard those stories. You know the impact that camp has on our students. I know that you are invested you are supporting our students. But the question is, how do you go about supporting people that you're never around? How do we take those relationships to the next level, which leads me to finding number four, the last finding. By far, the number one way that churches made the teens in our survey feel welcomed and valued was when adults in the congregation showed an interest in them. I mean, this is finding number four in, in, in years and years of research. I mean, it, we, we think maybe it has to do with... Um, you know, I, I don't know that, that it's, it's a youth pastor's job. That, that you know, no, no adults could really pour into high school students. And yet the research is showing that if we can just get students in the same environments as adults, and adults will show an interest in them, that could change Everything. I've told you this story before, but Trudy is one of our spiritual grandparents. She shows up almost uh, monthly to our high school ministry. And she shows up and she worships and she enjoys the the experience that we have. And then she goes back into small groups with her students. And and one of her uh, young adult leaders who she has worked with didn't have a place to go on Christmas Eve, didn't have any plans, didn't have anything to do. And Trudy found out about this. And so Trudy called her up and she said, Hey, Becca, I, me and some of my girlfriends, we do this Christmas caroling thing and we'd love for you to be a part of it. And, and Becca said, okay, okay, I'll come. And so they hung out and they had this incredible night together. And on Instagram, Becca wrote this She said, What an amazing mentor, right here. Beyond thankful to be a part in her life as she is a spiritual grandmother to our ninth grade girls at church. See, this is possible. This is possible, and this is what happens when young adults say, "I will make an investment in students." I was talking with uh, another woman in our church this week. Her name is Ginny, and I had shared with Ginny a little bit about some of these some of these new strategies and what it would look like to have high school students a part of the main worship service. And she said, "Well, where are they going to sit?" And I said, "I don't know. We'll see." And she said, "Well, if they're all kind of sitting together, is that okay?" And I was like, "Yeah, then you can identify where they are. It's great." And she said, well, well, what should I do? And I said, it's, it's crazy, it's rocket science. You should just go talk to them. You should just walk up to them and chat with them and get to know them. And she's like, you mean they would wanna talk with me? And I said, Ginny, you're getting it. Yes, they would love to talk with you. And I said, Ginny, you could take it a step further. You, you could go up to that student. You could say, hey, what's your name? And get to know their name. And hey, next week, if you wanna sit with me, this is where I sit and you can sit with me. Can you imagine how powerful it would be if all of our students here at Purpose Church and specifically our high school students Sit, so, said, man, I sit next to Ginny, or I sit next to Fred, or I sit next to Anthony, or Taylor, or Mia. And, and these people have become a part of my family. You see, this is what Jesus was talking about in, in John chapter 13 when he shares with his disciples. He says, I, a new command I give you, love one another. And they're going, well, that's kind of an old commandment. We, we've heard that before. What do you mean? And he says, no, as I have loved you. So, you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. Jesus defines love by himself. He says, Watch me and go and do likewise. And what does Jesus do? He serves, he lays down his life, he invests, he pours into a group of younger guys. So, my question is, what does it look like for us to love like Jesus, the students? That are going to be worshiping with us every single week.
0: So here's our hope. We want the students of Purpose Church to feel and know that they're a part of our larger church family. Now, let me just tell you anecdotally, from my perspective, what I've seen as a pastor over the th- past thirty some years, and and this is just anecdotal from my own personal experience, but it fits all the research that you've been talking about. Is I have uh, Kimberly and I have just been distressed. Uh, first of all, we've been praising the Lord because all six of our children are, are following Jesus and connected with a local church. But, but, but here's what has distressed us. Very few of their friends are still following Jesus. Most of their friends. And we have had amazing high school pastors here through the years. I would even argue we've had some of the finest high school pastors in America Uh, at our church, and I can back that up uh, by some of the names that as you look through the history of our church, we've had some of the finest youth ministry, some of the finest youth pastors in America. And my kids were in youth group during some of the greatest youth pastors in America. And yet, many, if not most, of their friends are no more following Jesus. It's like that flip of the coin that Eric was talking about. So many of them have fallen away. Now, I think the reason our kids avoided that is because they were connected with many adults within the church. Okay, And so because they were pastor's kids, they knew a lot of the adults and made friendships with a lot of the adults in the broader uh, scope of the church. But their friends were youth group junkies. And they were just in the youth group and never made the connection with the broader adult church. And so when youth group days were over, when high school was over, they drifted away. Uh, We found even within our own children that our children in general who had the best experience in high school ministry had the hardest time finding a local church in adulthood. And those of our children that had the not-so-great experience with high school ministry and as a result kind of got pulled over here into adult ministry, they're the ones that have found the easiest time uh, finding a church. Our uh, daughter-in-law and and, and son, Andrew and Jessica, uh, they loved high school ministry. Chris Brown was their high school pastor. And, And they fell in love at Bass Lake, so it's what they call Bass Lake Love. That's where they fell in love. And they met in youth group and fell in love in youth group and fell in love, you know, in love with their high school pastor. And as a consequence, they had trouble finding a local church. Now, now they found it. But not after a lot of lectures from dad. I would say to them, you're not going to find Chris Brown in Palmdale, okay? Uh, You know, you're going to have to fall in love with an ordinary church, a a regular church of regular people. You're not always going to have this superstar, high-octane youth group experience. Now, they found a local church, but it took them a longer time. Our daughter, Abby, on the other hand, um, uh, did not care for the high school pastor we had at that particular time, way before you, Eric, okay? Okay. And she didn't like the high school pastor. So you know how she rebelled? This was our strong-willed one we talked about last Sunday. She said, Mom and Dad, you can't tell me what to do. So she went and joined the adult choir. And I'm like, that's how you rebel? Oh, my gosh, you know. It's like, please, don't throw me in the briar patch, Mr. Fox. You know, so, So here she'd be in her robe in the adult choir instead of being over in a high school group. Well, she, no big surprise, had the easiest time connecting with the adult church after, after she uh, graduated. Here's another thing that I've observed as a pastor, is uh, for years I would see high schoolers here sitting with their parents instead of being over in our high school ministry. And I think to myself, ah, oh, the church has failed them and failed that family. We failed those parents. We failed that student. Here they are over here instead of being in this wonderful high school experience youth group that we've experienced. But you know what happened over the years? They were the ones that are still coming to church. And the ones that were youth group junkies are the ones that drifted away. And I realized it was totally counterintuitive. All we're asking in this is that we actually make an old-fashioned move. Okay, how's that for a change of pace? We're going to do something old-fashioned. We're going to do something back to the way they did it in the old days. How many of you here today used to sit with your parents in adult church and your kids? I did. West End Presbyterian Church, third row from the right, was the Gundersons' Row. And the Covingtons were in front of us, and the Ernests were behind us. And everybody had their spot. And we had a good youth ministry in our church. Don't get me wrong, we had a good youth ministry, but not on Sunday morning. It was more during the week we had a good youth ministry. But it was expected that on Sunday morning we were as high schoolers in the adult service. And so when I graduated from high school, all I lost was my small group connection, which I was able to rediscover post high school. But my adult ministry worship, my adult service worship, that continued because I was used to it Over the last four years, I didn't lose that, and so I continued with that, and that probably has been many of your experience, and that's all we're proposing. We're just proposing going old-fashioned. We're going old-school on this. Now, Eric has just a great analogy for this.
1: We are talking about relationships and the significance of uh, students being in relationships with the larger church. And I feel like what our model has become is kind of an arranged marriage where high school students have primarily stayed with other high school students for their four years. And then as soon as they graduate, basically what we say is high school graduate, meet the church, church, meet the high school graduate, love each other forever, be married forever. And it's just not working. So what we want to do is we want to go to, to a model of, of a dating experience where we want to help our students actually date the local church for their four years of high school ministry. Now this doesn't mean that things are changing on Wednesday night. In fact, we're going to continue to go and push the envelope. We're going to continue to see more students get saved. Incredible things happening over there. In fact, you know, our, our hope is to see every age and stage, we want to see every age and stage have a small group, have a big worshiping service, and have a serve component to their lives. And, And maybe, you know, I want to ask you as a congregation, where is your small, where is your big, and where is your serve? And where are those places in your life where you're saying, man, this is the small group that I'm getting really intimate with, that I'm vulnerable with, that I'm sharing with. What's that big worshiping community that I am invested to, not just when it's, you know, convenient for me, but this is the service, this is the worshiping community I go to. And then where are you serving? Where are you investing and pouring out? You see, we just want the exact same thing for our students. What's happening on Wednesday nights is absolutely incredible across all student ministries. And as we're specifically talking about high school, we have almost 150 high school students over there. We have about 30 adult leaders who every single week are pouring them into small group. We have Pastor Jarrett and his team leading worship over there. We do our camps and our retreats, our student leadership. We've got all of that amazing, incredible stuff happening, but it all centers around they're small. It all centers around them getting into a small group community and opening up and sharing and being known. You see, as our high school ministry continues to grow and grow and grow, we want that and we know that we can handle it and we know that every single student will be personally known for and personally cared for because we are a small group model. It's not the Eric show over there. It's all of the leaders who show up and invest in those students on a deep relational level. But here's the problem with our current model, is that is the primary way that students are connecting with Purpose Church. Under this new model, with every student having a small, a big, and a serve, that means that on Sunday mornings, we know that the family is so busy, there's so much going on, and we don't want to overload it. On Sundays, we're going to focus on helping students connect with their big worshiping community and giving them a place to serve. Because that's what the research is showing is helping students maintain their faith and their love for the local church for a lifetime. You see what's awesome and beautiful about this is that our high school ministry as incredible as I think it is, and as amazing as I think it is, it is only gonna be one third of their connection here at Purpose Church, which means when they graduate, and it will be painful, and it will be hard, and it will be challenging for them, but once they graduate, 66% of them continues to be connected past graduation to their big worshiping community and to their places of serving. You know, we have a high school student who uh, two years ago wasn't coming to our high school ministry at all. And I remember him walking by one day and I said, hey, Jason, I'd love for you to come and hang out at high school. And he said, "Nah, I, just, I, don't, I don't know anybody. I'm not sure about that. And we said, no, Jason, you, sh- you should come and you should, you should hang out. And I said, Jason, give us one week. Give us one week. Well, this student decided to take me up on that challenge and he came the next week and he met some more students and some more leaders who poured into him. And just last Wednesday, just this last week, he, because he's a student leader, he ran our Wednesday night. He made this incredible video of students sharing their stories about how God has changed their lives. He gave a little mini sermon in the front. And here's a student who wanted really nothing to do with the high school ministry, got plugged in, is being discipled and poured into, is now leading the night. And he he is going to be among the many students who are going to start to join us here at worshiping at our worship service on a regular basis. You see, we have some incredible students who you are going to see in worship here who you are going to see across the campus serving And the question is, the question is, how are we gonna make that successful for them? How are we gonna help them to follow Jesus for their lifetime? Well, when it comes to Sunday mornings, we're going to do before and after things. We're going to we're going to find ways for students to connect before the service and after the service. We're going to plan student-engaging services. This means that when they're in here, as they're worshiping with us, we're mindful of them. So you're going to hear maybe some illustrations and some analogies that, as they have always applied to you, that we're going to try to continue to apply them to students. That we're going to have amazing dozens and dozens of student-serving opportunities across our campus. This one I'm incredibly excited about, especially for those of you parents who you have high school students, that as they come in and worship sitting next to you, or even as they sit next to their friends, that you're gonna have the opportunity to once you leave church, to not just say, well, what did Eric talk about in HSM? And they're like, I don't know, right? But instead they're gonna say, well, you, you as a family can stay, to stand together and go, man, we just heard Pastor Glenn, or whoever's communicating up here, we, we just heard them talk about what it means to love your neighbor. How are we doing as a family? You see, the conversations have the potential to go a lot deeper. The family becomes more spiritually unified. Even our students whose families don't come to church. You know what is the most incredible gift? I tell this to students every time after they accept Christ. That the best news in the world is that Jesus did not call them to follow him alone, but he called them to follow him in a community. And they have a new family that they are a part of. And all of our students are going to get to experience that. And then we're going to resource parents. We're going to get parents discussion guides to have those conversations. And the last question I want to close with is the one I began with. How can you help the next generation follow Jesus? Some of you may be saying, well, I'm, uh, I'm kind of socially awkward. Students are too. You'll be perfect the together. <laughs> that maybe you're going, well, I just don't know any students. Awesome, this is a great opportunity to step across the aisle and get to know somebody. Some of you are going, I- I'm just a really, I'm really insecure about this. Well, guess what? I guarantee you, hormonally and biologically, every student is more insecure than you are. It's a church. This is our opportunity. I mean, everything hinges on this. Beginning June 4th, we're gonna be bringing high school students into whatever service they wanna worship at, and they're gonna be serving in another service. And as they're coming in here, and as they're going to be sitting near you, this is going to be new for them, and they're going to feel like a foot, and they're going to feel like an ear, and they're going to feel like this place isn't for them. And guess what? Y'all are going to change that. That you are going to change their minds. That you are going to show them that Purpose Church is not a place for their parents or their grandparents, but Purpose Church is a place for them where they are valued, where they matter, where God wants to work in and through their lives. So let me personalize it again. How can you, how will you help the next generation follow Jesus? Maybe that's giving at the giving wall. But maybe it's as they fill the pews and as you see them around campus, you get to know them and you invest in them because you know that they're commitment to the local church, and maybe even their commitment to following Jesus hinges on this. So church, let's do it.
0: Let me just tell you again uh, why I love this church and why I'm so blessed to be the pastor of Purpose Church. You can't tell your spouse enough times that you love them, and you can't tell as a pastor your church how much you love them let me just tell you why I'm so blessed to be your pastor. You may not realize how utterly unique this church is. 147 years of on-fire following of Jesus, almost unbroken for 147. You don't realize in church history, in American church history, even worldwide church history, it is utterly unique, highly unusual. We are part of a handful of churches that have had a century and a half of of steady, on-fire, passionate ministry for Jesus Christ. It's unique, especially in an urban setting in which we find ourselves now. It is just incredible. Churches usually have one, two, or three generations and then fade away, either become ineffective or they disappear altogether. It is highly unusual, the experience that we've had Uh, over the last 147 years. Whether you call this church Spadra Baptist Church or First Baptist Church of Pomona or Pomona First Baptist Church or Purpose Church, whatever you call it, it is unique what God has done here over the last 147 years. You can hardly see any other examples in worldwide church history. And here's the reason I believe it's happened. Because generation by generation, we have been willing to do what needs to be done to reach the next generation. Let me close with an illustration. Um, I turned 60 this year. I've mentioned that several times. And there are two approaches I can take to my health medically when I turn 60. The first is to do everything I can to avoid doctors at all costs. Okay? And that would be easy for me to do. I mean, I love my doctor, but I'm a bit of a hypochondriac, and I'm always nervous before I go to the doctor, and he's going to prescribe medicine that may have some side effects, and he may poke and prod me in uncomfortable and odd ways. Uh, he he um, is going to ask me to lose weight. He's going to uh, challenge me to do something preventative care. I mean, this last time, I was just in there a few weeks ago, and he told me, now that I'm 60, I need to have a colonoscopy. And so next week I'm going to have a colonoscopy, and 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 your turn is coming. So don't laugh, okay? <laughs> your turn is coming, and and you go in there. I got to drink the goop, and I hate doing that. I got a gag reflex, and and but I'll do it because my doctor told me to. So there's two approaches I can take. One is to completely avoid discomfort, getting out of my comfort zone, and you know it will most likely be that I will live shorter than I need to live. If I do that approach, I probably won't live as long as I can. But that's not the approach I've chosen. I've chosen to go to my doctor. I love my doctor. And and even though it makes me uncomfortable, I take the medication he tells me to take, and I keep my annual physical, and I do the preventative care that he tells me to do. And if he asks me to have surgery, I'll have surgery. And even though it's going to hurt, and even though it's going to stretch me outside of my comfort zone, I'm going to do it. And most likely, the end result will be is that I will live longer because I did it okay and and those are the two approaches that you can we can take as a church as well. Um, churches can avoid the steps to being healthy, and out of the three hundred thousand churches in America today, about one hundred thousand churches are taking that approach to their health they're choosing to do nothing, and they are in serious decline and will close their doors in the next few years. Or churches like ours can take the steps, even if they are hard, to do what we need to do generation to generation to reach lost people for Christ and to reach the next generation. Um, Here, let me take the analogy a step further. And this came from Eric, so he's thinking like a 60-year-old here. Okay, he's thinking like a 60-year-old. This is awesome. What's one of the main reasons that that you want to stay healthy when you get to be like like my age your grandchildren now, this is going to get annoying, and I promise not to do this much anymore. This two weeks in a row. Forgive me. Here's another set of pictures of my grandchildren. Okay. And, and these are our grandchildren that are here this weekend from Peru. They and their parents are missionaries in Peru. And so Alejandro and Emily have been staying with us at the house, and it has been absolutely awesome. And I'll tell you, a, a major motivation for me staying healthy is I want to see them graduate from whatever they graduate from, And if they get married, I want to see their marriage. I I want to see them grow up. But I tell you what I care about way more than seeing them graduate from something or get married. I want to see them in heaven. And so I will lead our church through anything necessary to see them and those of their generation like them in heaven for eternity. That's by far. And that's why our church chooses the out-of-our-comfort-zone approach rather than the sit-and-do-nothing-and-die approach. I'm going to have the praise band come up for some closing worship. And as they come up, let me end with this quote. Uh, Tom S. Rayner, who's really an expert on what's going on in the Church of America today. Um, I just stumbled upon this this past week, but it was so appropriate for what we're talking about. He writes, in many ways, I see 2016 as a pivotal year for thousands of congregations. Unfortunately, many church leaders and church members will elect not to change anything. These congregations will be among the 100,000 rapidly declining churches. But for other churches, new opportunities abound. For decades, churches could choose a path of modest to no change and do okay. That is not the case today. For those congregations that are eager and willing to face the culture in God's power and strength, they will likely see incredible opportunities for ministry and growth. It is becoming that simple, change or die. We have done this with God's help, We are doing this with God's help and by the grace of God until Christ returns we will do this in the future with God's help. Until we see Him in the sky and the skies open up and we see Christ returning we will be a church that will do whatever necessary to reach the lost and the next generation until Christ returns and He will make us He is strong to save He is strong to empower. He is strong to help us. He is strong to unify us as we move into the future that he's called us until Christ returns and all God's family said, amen. (laughs)